Paleo Runner podcast is devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click ratings and reviews. You can also follow me on facebook.com slash runpaleo or on Twitter at runpaleo. I wanted to take a minute to let you know about a product I've been using called 3Fuel. 3Fuel is a sports drink that gives you fat, protein, and carbohydrates to use as a fuel source. Unlike sugary sports drinks, 3Fuel gets absorbed slowly into your bloodstream to give you sustained energy throughout your workout. If you'd like to give it a try, you can get 10% off by using the coupon code 3FOLSON. Go to paleorunner.org and click 3Fuel at the top of the page. If you're listening through the podcast app on iPhone, click the link displayed on the app right now. If you like podcasts, you're going to like Audible.com. There's over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Lately, I've been listening to Focus by Daniel Goldman. If you're listening on the iPhone or iPad, click the link displayed on the app right now to get your free audiobook download, or go to paleorunner.org and click Audible at the top of the page. My guest today is Dr. Steve Ganjemi. Dr. Ganjemi helps educate athletes about injury and overtraining. His goal is to help every person live longer and healthier while becoming faster, stronger, and a more efficient athlete. He's competed in 20 Ironman races, as well as countless other triathlons, bicycle races, races and running events. Dr. Ganjemi, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. So, uh, Dr. Ganjemi, you you have uh, some pretty ambitious goals there on your website. You say that you want to help athletes prevent injury and overtraining while actually getting fitter and becoming faster. So, kind of give me the basics overview of how you actually go about doing that. Say uh, an endurance athlete or someone listening to this were to come into your your clinic and and, uh, wanted to learn how they can, you know, train hard, get faster, but also prevent injuries. How would you do that? Sure, that's a good question. Um, Probably several different ways I can answer that. Um, I'd say first, um, usually when I see someone in my office, they're unfortunately there, uh, you know, nine nine out of 10 times, if not a little bit greater than that, because they've actually been injured or they're still dealing with some sort of acute or chronic injury. And unfortunately, they're in my office to uh, just, you know, to become a, a more uh, faster or stronger athlete at that time. That's something that they eventually learn once um, I start working on them. You know, most athletes, one of the things that prohibits them from getting to their next level, whatever that may be, you know, either to run faster, run longer, or or whatever their goal is, uh, typically are limited by uh, an injury. It's it's a big thing in so many athletes. I don't know the actual rate of injuries today, but you rarely find somebody or it's pretty difficult to find somebody who isn't dealing with a um, even a nagging injury. You know, maybe it's a, a stiff neck and maybe it's a, an achy knee if they don't stretch out or warm up properly or, or they're dealing with a, a chronic injury that limits them from running a little bit further or a little bit faster. So it's sort of like their crutch at the time. So Athletes, um, unfortunately, uh, end up overtraining, end up injured, and then they're forced to, to rest up or uh, spend that rest and recovery time uh, dealing with an injury rather than using it towards uh, efficient and effective recovery from you know training uh, from from their training. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, you mentioned a few things there. You mentioned that we need to warm up properly, and then I, he- I think I heard you said stretch out. But I've seen a few things on your site that you you're a little bit skeptical of stretching. Um, tell me a little bit more of your view on stretching because I I think I saw an article that 
that you talked about stretching might actually be dangerous. Yeah, well, I do have uh, T-shirts that say, you know, only bozos stretch. And it's a, <laughs> it's a picture of a clown, the bozo clown, doing a uh, classic runner's hurdler stretch. You know, the idea here is, is that uh, most people think that flexibility equates to better performance. And that's a, that's a big misconception. You know, flexibility, first of all, isn't typically gained solely by stretching. Now, yeah, you can stretch out a muscle. You can try, you know, try and, you know, lengthen your hamstrings or do a quad stretch and lengthen some of these muscles and have a little bit more range of motion. But if you're doing the traditional stretch and hold, you know, what we all know is static stretching, those results are, you know, limited to the, basically the time that you have to keep on putting into that type of stretch. Flexibility is really a reflection of our nervous system. It's a reflection of balance within our nervous system and how our muscular musculoskeletal system interacts with our nervous system. So if there's certain stresses in the nervous system, whether that's uh, you know hormonal stress, whether it's an injury uh, feeding back into the nervous system, whether it's uh, you know, uh, immune system stress, it can really be anything, then the muscles will react a certain way and create imbalances. And then that um, ends up causing the, the person to be uh, inflexible. So they feel like they need to stretch and eventually those inf- those imbalances of the muscles equate to biomechanical instabilities. And then, you know, next thing you know, your knee hurts, your ankle hurts or shoulder or whatever you're dealing with. So we always feel like that we need to stretch that out to try and loosen the joint or loosen the area that we're dealing with. And uh, so we're able to uh, train or race. But um, really, there that's it never corrects the problem. Someone who always has to stretch to uh, exercise, they're always having to stretch. They don't ever correct the problem by doing it that way. There, there's no way you can actually uh, reduce a muscular tightness by stretching. So mm. we end up, you know, taking a step back and and looking at, okay, you know, where did the cause of this symptom, this muscle tightness or this muscle imbalance come from and how do you correct it? You know, you correct that by perhaps changing your diet or pa- changing your tr- your uh, training routine or, or changing uh, your, your recovery, whatever that may be. Mm. And the thing with stretching is too is is that a lot of the stretching that people are doing is completely, uh, well, we'll say this way, it's a a better way to look at it, is that they're creating a lot of instability in a joint. And when you're doing an isolated stretch and trying to isolate a muscle and, and, and increase the range of motion beyond what you're currently capable of, then you lose a lot of, a lot of stability in the area and you create a weakness to that joint. And that further is going to lead that person to an injury. And then when they get injured, what do they want to do? They want to stretch it out more. But the thing (laughs) is when you're, when you're injured, your body actually wants to obviously try and heal that tissue by realigning the muscle fibers. And if you keep on stretching those muscle fibers away from where they're trying to realign themselves, then all you do is delay the injury further and further. Mm-hmm. So it's a big conundrum there. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard for some of us who aren't elite athletes and don't have trainers. When we see, I, when I did a uh, track in cross country in high school, we always spent like 10 or 20 minutes stretching at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then I see elite athletes, even now it seems like they're still doing some of these static tr- stretches. So it's, it's kind of confusing but you know I always thought when I was doing those static tre- stretches what does this have to do with running it doesn't make any sense you know I I would think for uh, activity like running you want your muscles to be kind of springy and, and tight and you know kind of moving almost like a cheetah but if you're sitting there stretching something out that's 
it almost seems like it would make it more like a wet noodle or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm, I always tell people I'm all for flexibility. I'm all for moving. Um, I'm all for dynamic movings, like, you know, doing um, what many people know as eccentric loading type, you know, um, activities, including stretching that way. In other words, like doing a deep squat or doing a, a, a box jump down from a box where you're actually, you know, stretching certain muscles as you land and, and go into a little bit of a squat. I mean, that's a great way to increase joint mobility as well as improve strength and stability. But the thing is, if you just, you know, grab your ankle and try and um, bring your heel to your to your butt and to stretch out your quad, you're creating a massive amount of stability, instability and stress in the knee. And I always say to people, why do you need to bring your heel to your butt while you run? Just like you said, I mean, what is the point of that? Mm. You know, e- even if you were going to run hurdles or hurdles or something like that, and you need a little bit uh, longer, um, you know, stride or jump to to to, to um, you know get your uh, get get more uh, distance in your legs to perhaps jump further or get over a hurdle or something like that. You know, you still need to work on more dynamic movements and how muscles all relate to one another in, in dynamic motion rather than try and isolate these muscles individually. Um, because, they, you know, muscles never work individually. Although you can, you know, try and focus on a certain muscle, you're never just using one muscle. So when you when you isolate a muscle, you end up typically with problems. Okay, interesting. And, you know, you go by the name of Sock Doc. And I, I think that's because you, you're really into this sort of barefoot style of running and, and natural movement. But can you tell me a little bit more about... Um, maybe how you got that name and 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 how it relates to how important you think it is to move your feet in a natural way sure um a friend of mine who actually helped me develop the sock doc site back in 2011 we were just talking one night and you know i told him how i was i had always run in you know nike freeze and ironman races and sort of uh lightweight trainers rather than you know thick conventional type stability shoes at least in the last 15 20 years probably now and then you know last few years around that time 2010 through 2011 i just started going barefoot even in my office and especially here in the hot north carolina summers it helped cool me off and i felt better not wearing shoes or even socks in the winter i wore socks so we he came up with the name sock doc since i'm a doctor and i was wearing socks in the office and even though it's kind of where the name came from it really has to do with um you know sort of the holistic and minimalistic lifestyle of um using you know, what you've got and not needing support like orthotics and not needing, um, you know, stability shoes and, and strengthening your feet and strengthening your body and, and um, you know, managing um, manage yourself in, in a completely natural way, improving proprioception, which is how your body um, relates or how your body knows where it is in relationship to um, its surroundings, especially your feet with the ground. And, um, you know, your feet have a huge reflection of your overall health, which is why people typically when they're stressed out and run down whether that's because of too much training or too much work or too much family stress or whatever, you know, they, their feet hurt and it's, and it's not necessarily because they're standing on them, on them all day, even if it's hard surface, it's typically just something that provokes the, uh, the ache more, but your feet are typically a good reflection of how healthy and how fit you are too. So if your feet hurt at the end of the day, then it's often because your body's trying to deal with more than what it, with more than it can. And, uh, shoes tend to alter that appropriate reception and, sort of act as a crutch for what really may be going on in your body that you might not realize if you're always wearing especially supportive footwear. So the more you can go barefoot, 
um, I feel the better. I don't think, you know, you always have to go barefoot, but I like to tell people you should be able to, you know, you should be able to walk barefoot, especially at least in your house and work if you're allowed to. Obviously, some places aren't practical and you should be able to stand barefoot with no pain and, you know, your feet should be, you know, strong feet. Uh, so you might not want to all the time, but you should be able to. It's a, it, it'll let you know how, how well you're doing overall. Mm, interesting. So do you think that wearing a more minimal type shoe is going to help people stay injury free and is that something that you would recommend people wear you know all the time or is it just a tool that they can use well i think it's both i mean i think ideally the goal is to wear as little as possible as much as you possibly can you know people like to say that you know you can't wear certain shoes in uh certain environments and of course that's true i mean you know if if you're if you're in a dangerous environment like a construction zone you're probably not going to want to be wearing shoes that can you know something lands on your foot it's not going to feel too good but for the most part um you know if you need footwear that has an arch support in it or uh, pronation control or more cushion to help uh, absorb shock in your feet then you know, you're sort of missing the idea of what's really going on with your foot and your body and your overall health. So, uh, you know, I like to tell people if, you know, you can't run, say, 10 miles without a more supportive shoe, then, you know, you should maybe look at running less until you can wear less footwear because you're basically using that shoe as a brace to support your body when it's, you know, basically going on its beyond its capabilities at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that you mentioned that last part is is that, you know, if you can't go more than 10 miles without a shoe, maybe you should listen to your body and, and go a little bit less. I know when I first started running in the Vibram Five Fingers, my feet kind of hurt after about eight miles of running. So I just said to myself, you know, I'm just going to listen to my body and see what happens. And actually, I think that was one of the best things I did because it actually helped me to train a little bit less. And I found out that I actually didn't need to train as much as I used to think I did. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. And and that's kind of the the next topic I'd like to get into is this idea of you say um, in your bio that you want to help people to prevent overtraining. Um, How can you go about recognizing when you're overtraining? Uh, well, that's that's sometimes easier said than done. Unfortunately, you know, as a, any athlete who's trained hard, I have, and, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners, you know, you typically know you're overtrained sometimes when it's a little bit too late, you know, after you've been mm-hmm. on that endorphin rush for a few weeks and you're feeling great and you feel like nobody can beat you. And then all of a sudden, you know, you end up with, you wake up one day and your foot hurts or you're, you know, you're sick or something like that. Um, you know, there are I have an article somewhere on the SockDoc site that talks about um, little signs and symptoms of overtraining. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens when we overtrain is is we produce a lot of hormonal stress. You know, that's a lot of cortisol is, is secreted by our adrenal glands, our major stress glands that sit on top of our kidneys and help balance out our blood sugar and deal with inflammation, that sort of thing. And then we end up with lower of anabolic type hormones. So for women, that's progesterone, estrogen. And for us guys, it's more testosterone. So things you see when you start to overtrain, you might get symptoms like, you know, you're tired uh, more often. You don't obviously feel like training too much. Your performance isn't uh, what it used to be. You know, you're not improving as you once were. Maybe you're starting to get little aches and pains, and that could even be just you get up in the morning and you're just a little bit more stiff or, or, or stiff. You shouldn't be stiff at all. A lot of people are sort of just used to daily nagging symptoms, and a lot of people might always, or I'd say a lot of people are always 
training. They're always sort of pushing that red line of training too hard. But, um, you know, low energy, lower libido, you know, sex drive, you just don't feel like um, participating in those activities. That's a big sign of overtraining. Uh, sleep, sleep issues are a huge uh, symptom of training too hard, either insomnia when it takes you too long to get to sleep, meaning over like 15, 20 minutes, or especially if you're waking up in the middle of the night, like you just wake up or you're tossing and turning and you can't get back to sleep or you wake up really hungry in the middle of the night. That's a big sign of overtraining. And then there's um, even little signs and symptoms that people get like dizzy when you stand up quick. You know, if, you, if you're tying your shoes and you stand up quick, you kind of get lightheaded or a little bit dizzy or maybe even a little bit of tunnel vision. That's a big sign of your blood pressure dropping from stress to your adrenal glands or um, another good one a lot of people don't know about is if your eyelid ever twitches a lot or your limb or you get a limb jerk while you're sleeping, like your limb twitches, like your arm jumps a little bit. That's a mm. good sign of overtraining. So little things like that. Interesting. Um, good little good little sort of tidbits to know before you uh, injure yourself in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So when you were training for Ironman, um, you know, lately there's been a lot of talk about in, in the primal community, paleo primal, about how you might be able to get um, some of the same results by doing less uh, training. I know I had a, a guy named Ben Greenfield on the show a few weeks ago, and he trains for Ironman only doing about eight hours a week. And I think he's doing that to kind of prevent overtraining, but also just to get the most from his body in a short amount of time. What What's your view on optimizing or training to optimize performance while preventing yeah. overtraining? Sure. I mean, I, I think in the Ironman community, it, you know, it used to be, and, and I'm sure some people still think that more is better. I mean, in, in my days, um, you know, last my you know my Ironman races when I was really racing a lot back in the early 2000s. Um, and doing a couple of years, sometimes three, um, you know, I would peak out at 20, 21 hours a week of training. And that was, that was hard training too, not, you know, recovery training. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of training and, you know, I think probably I overdid it a couple of those years, but I also had some of my best races on those, on the, on those training hours, you know, at, at least several weeks in there. But, you know, you, you sort of never know until you play around with it. Could I, could I have done better at less training? And, and eventually when I, when I did cut my training down over the years to, you know, 13, 14, I never went as low as, as Ben's talking about, at least not consistently. Um, I mean, I still raced really well. Uh, so, I mean, I think, the endurance training, the endurance training can really beat you up. A, a lot of athletes don't think that, or they don't realize it until it's too late. I mean, even though, even if you're not doing high intensity training, high anaerobic training, and you're you're just doing aerobic stuff, uh, it can you know putting in a lot of hours on the bike or or running especially can really take its toll, uh, even if you don't feel like you're pushing it too hard. So you can definitely get more bang for your buck by by uh, really being very specific with your. training training and, um, especially building a base. And, um, you know, I know Ben's a smart guy and, um, I don't necessarily disagree with what he said, but I'd also probably add that, uh, if you get someone new who isn't, doesn't have much of a a base, um, you know, who hasn't been training many years, they're probably not going to get too far just out, out of, out of eight hours of training a week. If they want to do something like an Ironman race or an ultra, um, you know, they, you know, I, I think that's definitely the way to go. If someone has many years of aerobic, a great aerobic, uh, capacity that they've built up, not necessarily by 20 hours a week, but at least more than that. And then once you got it, you can sort of keep it and build off that by a lot less training over the years, especially as you get older, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, it's different for everybody. And, you know, you're always going to hear that person who, you know, did awesome on eight hours a week and someone who did great on 25 hours a week, just like, you know, you always want 
wonder what that guy ate for breakfast who won the race, you know, and then <laughs> he changes, he changes it the next time and says he raced better. You know, you, your athletes are always trying to figure out what's better. So we're always changing our minds, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so you, you mentioned there you, that you, uh, when you drop your training more into the 13, 14 hour range that you kind of try to do more targeted training. So what, what training did you eliminate to get down to that shorter time frame? I basically, what I did at, at that time is I wasn't doing, um, like more than one long run a week, or at least, you know, I might do like a 16, 17 mile long run during that period. But instead of doing say two 10 milers during the week I, or, and, and a couple eight milers, say I was doing more, you know, like one eight mile, one five and one ten or something like that, you know, it's just cutting it out here and there. Or with my cycling at that time, I was, I mean, geez, I would easily log in a couple of weeks of three, 350 miles, you know, which mm. is easily 15 hours on the bike. And, you know, eventually I would, I had cut those down to 200 and, you know, there's five hours right there. So a lot of that came off the bike. I mean, with, with running, I mean, running is obviously a lot more demanding on your body when you get into, um, Ironman stuff and, and, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's easy to overtrain quickly with running, but I also think, you know, you've got to, you've got to put in the time to get a good basin, but I'm not a subscriber to someone training, um, to the point where they're trying to run more than what the race is, you know, once in, in terms of running, once you get over a few hours, I really feel that, I mean, I think a, a lot of, of your other, um, podcast, uh, um, participants or, or uh, people you've had on have talked about this where you know as soon as you start going over three hours especially in running you really can um you're really delaying recovery time or, or increasing your recovery time so three hours for a lot of people tends to be the uh you know the magic number so people who are going out and doing four or five hours of running to get a long run in might not be as good as of ideas especially if they're doing it often than if they did you know two hours on friday or, or saturday and three hours on sunday you know sort of broke it up a little bit Mm -hmm. So I think athletes, we tend to think that we recover faster than what we do. And, you know, a lot of people are just putting in a lot of miles and they feel good the next day. You know, it, it, it can wear on you pretty quickly. And next thing you know, you're, you're, uh, you're just not performing as well as you should. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So did you notice that when you, when you went to the shorter training that you had to be up your intensity? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I, by the time I started doing that, I had, you know, I, I was at the point where I was having to increase my intensity, but it was only because my heart rate was, you know, I was becoming so efficient and, and, you know, sort of, uh, my aerobic capacity was so highly high at that time that I was having to, uh, run faster or train a little bit harder just to get my heart rate up to a specific training zone at that time. So even though my, my, uh, times were getting faster, my intensity, you know, wasn't proportional because I was just having to, uh, you know, sort of maintain what I had and build off of that. Okay. You know, you know, I mean, once you, once you start getting to a certain point, you don't have to be, uh, doing crazy amount of miles to, I mean, let me say it this way. You're not going to keep on improving by putting in a lot of crazy miles. You're going to start improving. Uh, you're, you're going to get better by doing more, not necessarily high intensity workouts, but more, you know, maybe tempo runs or more race, uh, specific toward, uh, types of training. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, Steve, you're, you're also a chiropractor, yep. and 
you know, I have a, I I had a good experience when I had IT band syndrome. I went to a chiropractor and I had been doing all these stretches and stuff from a physical therapist for months and it wasn't getting any better. And I went to the chiropractor and he said, "Well, it's actually probably your lower back." And he adjusted my my sacroiliac joint and I was able to run like that day and without any more IT band pain, which if you haven't had that, it can be pretty painful. And tell me a little bit about how you can use chiropractic um, to help runners or help, you know, endurance athletes who are injured. Sure. Well, um, I mean, most chiropractors, you know, the way, the way we're trained is um, by adjusting bones and how they affect the nervous system and how they affect muscles. Um, my practice is actually a little bit different. I don't really do much adjusting. I more treat um, the muscular, you know, the, the muscles. And I look at muscle imbalances and how they're um, related back into the nervous system rather than the, tr- the traditional chiropractic view on the nervous system affecting the spine. And then by adjusting the spine, you in turn um, treat the nervous system, which can treat other areas of the body from, you know, your digestive system to muscles to your, you know, your immune system and everything else. So um, it's typically muscles that um, change the structures of our, the structure of our biomechanics when we have muscle imbalances from too much stress to our nervous system. So either you're training too hard, perhaps you're not sleeping well or eating well, or if you get injured, uh, say you just, you know, trip or sprain your ankle one day by, you know, landing bad while you're running, um, then you end up with muscle imbalances. And then those muscle imbalances um, need to be addressed uh, locally um, through um, things like trigger point therapy, sometimes acupressure points help, uh, certain nutritional therapies, dietary interventions, and, and even specific rehabilitation exercises will help heal up those areas specifically. But also as someone develops muscle imbalances, especially through compensations, then that in turn uh, feeds back into the nervous system and can create other imbalances elsewhere. So that's why someone might have a foot problem and then all of a sudden develop a, an ang- or a, um, a hip problem and then have a shoulder problem one day. But you can either go further and talk about how the nervous system, since your nervous system integrates everything in your body and your, your muscles are a great reflection of your nervous system, like we talked earlier about with stretching. If you have too much hormonal stress, if your body um, has uh, nutritional imbalances, uh, or you know, just any imbalance in your body, whether that's a dietary imbalance or um, too much emotional stress or, or whatever it may be, then that's enough to, or when it is enough to stress your nervous system out, it will manifest itself with muscle imbalances. So next thing you know, I sort of tell people you're sort of maybe zigging more than you're zagging. You know, your gait is off. Mm. So now you might get a little twist in your body or a little a little bit of torque where it wasn't before, and you get a little bit of biomechanical instability from these muscle imbalances from the health problem from the stress to your nervous system and now you end up with an injury so now you have to like i just mentioned you have to deal with that injury um at the source to help you know heal it help reduce the inflammation and heal up the injury where where the at the local area but also you have to uh, realize where that injury is coming from and resolve why it's there whether that is person straining too hard maybe wearing the wrong type of footwear not sleeping well or whatever it may be so you um, figure out why the nervous system is balanced and then the muscle imbalances are corrected to help uh, heal up the injury and prevent a further injury from occurring mm, interesting okay um, you, you know you mentioned there that there's a lot going on with the nervous system and at the beginning you actually said that diet might have something to do with uh, preventing injuries mm-hmm. and um, this paleo diet has gotten pretty big in the past few years what are your thoughts on the paleo diet 
Um, I mean, Paleo Diet, I think, is one of the, or let me say the best, I would say it's the best if I had to pick one, a, a foundation diet for someone to um, use and then, you know, tweak uh, according to their, you know, their own biochemistry, their metabolism, um, you know, from there. So in other words, you know, it, it's, it's a good foundation for someone to start with and then figure out what works for them. And, you know, so I'm not a fan of someone being told, you know, use this diet and, you know, only try this diet. This is the only diet that's going to work because everybody does it different on, on different diets. You know, I, I kind of jokingly pick on vegans on my site because I don't usually see vegans to do very well. I actually have never seen a vegan to do very well. And I hope you don't get vegans yelling at you on my site for saying that, but it's just, it's just a fact. I mean, that's just what I've seen. I typically see people do better when they, when they consume protein, at least egg and, you know, whey protein if they don't want to consume meat. Um, you know, but I'm a big fan of, uh, arachidonic acid type fats. I think they're way overlooked and those are the fats that are found, um, most plentiful in our, in our, in our brains actually, uh, along with what's called DHA, uh, which stands for docahexanoic acid, which is a, a long chain fat, um, we commonly know as part of fish oil, EPA and DHA, but arachidonic acid is, is big time in, um, egg yolks. It's in grass fed beef. It's in dairy products, um, especially creams and butters, you know, the fatty part of these animal products coming from an animal. And they're super important for healing. They're, they're, they're important for your nervous system. They're important for, uh, your immune system. Uh, and I think they're, they're, they're overlooked in, in, in how well they can, um, help a person, uh, overall their health and their fitness. And, and the paleo diet can provide a lot of that, uh, but the paleo diet in its strictest sense is, is, you know, dairy free, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where, I kind of, unless someone has a dairy allergy, usually it's not butter though. Usually it's casein, like, you know, the protein and in, in, in major protein in milk. Right. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of my patients and, and people I work with to consume, a, I'd call it a paleo type diet and adding in heavy cream, adding in um, butter and, you know, salt and which isn't part of the paleo diet. And I also think things in the paleo diet maybe shouldn't be in there like they are today because, you know, it's hard to go get really clean fish today. Mm-hmm. You know, if we lived way back then, you could go to a stream and pull a fish out and you didn't have to worry about it being loaded with mercury from the coal plants or, you know, PCBs from whatever was dumped into the ocean or, you know, and all the stuff that we're dealing with today. And, um, you know, so if you're a fish eater and which is, you know, definitely a good thing to do, but, you know, you shouldn't be eating fish too often. You typically got to stay with the smaller fish and stay away from farm raised fish. And, you know, so you gotta, you gotta kind of tweak the paleo diet out and make it work for how we live today, but also how it works for you. Mm-hmm. So, so can you give me a little bit of an idea of what you ate today? Sure. Um, typically for breakfast, I either have a lot of bacon, meaning like five, six, seven strips of bacon. And then I get my eggs right from my front yard where I have, uh, 18 hens. Oh, wow. Uh, so they're pretty, pretty local. Um, <laughs> I get much more local. Um, and then sometimes I make a smoothie with some undenatured whey protein in my Vitamix and I'll throw some green stuff in there like kale or Swiss or chard or whatever, or, and some fruit with the whey protein, and a lot of coconut milk. Um, and then for lunch, I usually hit whole foods and I get a salad with some eggs or some meat, as long as they didn't put too much junk in it there. You know, they like to do that now at whole foods. They like to season it up with some, uh, some crazy things I don't think they should be using. And then dinner, it's pretty much. 
um, similar. And you know, I base my diet off a lot about um, how much, how hard I train during the day, or you know, some days I don't have time to train, and therefore I eat less carbohydrates, or maybe I'm only eating fruit that day for carbs, or you know, I like dark chocolate. I might just have a little bit of dark chocolate. But on days when I'm training hard, especially if it's a weekend or during the week, and I've got you know a three-hour run, and you know. I try not to eat during that run just to utilize fat metabolism, but I might have, you know, some uh, potatoes or some sweet potatoes or some rice that night, you know, just to get some some carbs in me um, or some more fruit. So I, I always adjust my carbs based off how, how uh, long I'm training duration, um, especially if I'm getting over an hour or if I'm uh, doing some high-intensity uh, training. But otherwise, I try and keep the fat intake, you know, well over, um, I'm sure it's at least 60% of my diet. Um, you know, so, and and you mentioned carbs there and you kind of moderate carbs depending on how you're training. Mm -hmm. Um, do you take in those carbs before your run or like the night before a long run or the, the day, like right after your long run? Yeah, it's usually after, I mean, you know, if I know I'm going to do a three hour run, say on Saturday, I mean, I'm not going to go carb free all day on Friday, but, um, you know, I might just eat a little, you know, a couple pieces of fruit or I'm, I'm never really going heavy carbs anyway. I don't eat pasta like I used to. Um, I mean, I used to eat pasta even 10 years ago when I was doing a lot of Ironman stuff. I mean, I would, pasta would be a staple in my diet or, or pizza, you know, mm. I mean, easily a few nights a week and geez, I can't remember the last time I had pasta. Mm. Um, you know, but I might, especially after that, after that long run, I might do some, you know, fluid replacement stuff, um, or, you know, just have some more fruit or, bigger chunk of chocolate or something like that you know it really depends on how hard i you know i kind of just know how i feel and how much extra carbs that i need and if i wake you know i know when i screw it up and which we all do and you know i don't have it perfected it always changes is you know if i wake up in the middle of the night and i'm you know i'm not sleeping well then i know i'm probably should have eaten a little bit more carbs or i I make sure i do the next day if i haven't replenished those levels yet you know depending on how hard and how long i trained i mean ideally i always tell people to, to burn to utilize um you know fat while you're training you mm-hmm. should you should you know even up to a three-hour run you should be able to run with that with no food and you know only water unless it's you know um you know or maybe even no water unless it's really hot out mm-hmm. um you know but you shouldn't need a, a gel pack you shouldn't need any um carbohydrate uh, drink up to that period of time if you're a very good um if you have a r- really good aerobic endurance and you're burning primarily fat so mm-hmm. you know so it's, it's, it sounds yourself. like you've made a switch to to a higher fat diet because you because you said you used to eat a lot of pasta have you yep. found some benefits to doing that yeah i mean basically you know i would have you know even even say five six years ago i mean i didn't go right to the, to the high fat that i am now i kind of had like this period where i increased it a lot more but it wasn't even to the point where i was now even more i guess you could call more paleo but you know i would run say uh we have a 14 mile race around here on the trails and you know it takes me around an hour and 45 minutes or so and i would usually hit a gel pack like right around an hour and 15 in there you know just to give me a little bit extra go and you know now i can do that race i've done it the past couple of years without any gel pack you know i'm not bonking or i'm not feeling like my energy's dropping or anything like that and probably in the past or i'd say you know in the past i could go two hours a good aerobic run you know a good aerobic heart rate pace run and and now i can easily go three and i've even gotten lost in the woods once where i had to go over three without you know without a carb mm-hmm. so i mean I've, I've really improved that that much more mm-hmm. so 
No, that's yeah. that's it's great because I mean you don't have to carry as much stuff then as well. Yeah, and then that's and that's the one thing you know I always I changed in my practice where I was I used to be a big proponent of having people eat. Um, you know, we you've probably heard the term like grazers. You know, you, people eat frequently throughout the day. You know, you're always snacking on something. Like you don't eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but you're eating like every two to three hours. And I used to be that person. I mean, even I remember being in Hawaii before Ironman, and I was like just eating like all day long, like up to the week before the race. And it's because I was eating mostly carbohydrates. And the thing is, when you eat that way, you never really correct the problem. You sort of create habitually imbalanced blood sugar levels. You'll you'll never hear somebody who who eats frequently throughout the day all of a sudden say, Hey, yeah, I finally fixed my problem. I don't have to eat all day long you know it's like <laughs> it's such a pain in the butt too when you're always having to consume food and your energy drops after a couple hours uh, you know you get lightheaded or blood sugar swings and uh, you know you sort of you know get headaches or, or um, you know irritable or something like that and you know when you really eat a lot of fat like if you have a bunch of bacon or a bunch of and a bunch of coconut milk egg yolks all this stuff for breakfast i mean you can go five six hours easy without mm-hmm. eating i mean when i used to, you know when i used to eat mostly carbs for breakfast you, you know rice milk instead of coconut milk and I used to put honey in my smoothie, which I don't anymore, and and maybe have you know pancakes, even though they were more grain, you know, not not like you know bisquick pancakes, but you know pretty healthy pancakes. Mm. I, I could only you know I'd be treating patients, and three hours after breakfast, I'd be like, oh, I got to stop and eat, and you know grab something <laughs> quick. And I mean, I can go so much longer now, and and, and then when I do need to eat, I'm more hungry rather than uh, suffering from like an energy drop or something like that. So you know, I always, if if you want to fix your if you want to fix which I call it, which I term, and some people use the term dysglycemia, which is instability, insta- unstable blood sugar levels rather than hypoglycemia because not nece- your, ne- your blood sugar levels aren't necessarily low at the time. But if your blood sugars are always swinging all over the place, so we term that dysglycemia, DYS, then the, really the best way to correct that is to eat a lot of fat and a lot of protein. And you, and, and you should be able to go four, five, six hours and, and pretty much eat three meals a day, probably four if you're training hard on certain days, you know, and mm-hmm. you'll see uh, great changes in, in your health and your fitness and, you know, you'll lean up too, you know, if you're trying to just get a little bit leaner, even if you're not, you'll see, you know, you, you might see, hey, you know, I can, I'm, I'm seeing that, you know, muscle fiber that I didn't see before. I can see a, an extra abdominal muscle, you know, that you maybe are always trying to lose because your body is burning fat so much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Ganjemi, it's been great having you on the show and, and hearing more about how to stay injury free and optimize our performance. Where do you recommend people go to find out more about you? They can check out SockDoc.com, and that's S-O-C-K-D-O-C.com. Great. Well, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me. It was great speaking with you. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, go to paleorunner.org. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can help out by transcribing one of the episodes. Feel free to send me an email to aaron at paleorunner.org. That's aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at paleorunner.org.